Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Dean Jones, the Well-Seasoned Librarian. This is Season 4, Episode 1. Today we're going to be talking with YouTube vlogger Katie Quinn, who also is on podcast as well. Um, She has a new book out, uh, well, new this year, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering the Magic of Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. It's a wonderful book that has a lot of the things that I love about um, Anthony Bourdain's work, where it's part travelogue and part food writing, part cookbook. So um, I think you're going to really love her book when you get a chance to get it. And I know you're going to like this conversation as well. Uh, check out her YouTube channel. In addition, uh, we have all the links in the bio. Uh, check that out. So on we go to the conversation. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be talking to Katie Quinn, who is the author of Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering the Magic of Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. Katie, welcome to the show. Hi, Dean. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Now, um, for the folks that aren't familiar with your work, and everybody should be, because um, you know, you've, been, you've been on everything. You're all around on, on YouTube, you're on television, you, you're in print. So for the people that aren't familiar with you, tell us about yourself and your background. So I, let's see where to start. So I started my career. I left Ohio, moved to New York city, um, and started my career as an NBC page. And if anyone's a fan of Tina Fey's show 30 rock, um, you might know the character Kenneth, the page, that's an actual position (laughs) at NBC. (laughs) That is not fiction. And I was Kenneth like that literally just like straight from Ohio, just completely naive about everything and just running around backstage um, at NBC. And it was and it was an incredible experience. And it really primed me, I think, for the rest of my career. So then um, after that, I got a job at the Today Show working backstage there. And this was just when (laughs) I'm really going to date myself here, Dean. But Uh, This was right when television shows realized, oh, we need a web presence. We need like a site on the internet that people can go to and we need to offer things like backstage videos. And I uh, was in my early 20s, knew how to operate a camera. And so that became my job, making behind the scenes videos for today.com. From there, I started to do some on-camera interviews for these behind-the-scenes videos, and that led to my next job at Now This News, where I was an on-camera reporter and producer. So I kind of stepped from behind the camera to in front of the camera. Um, I should mention that throughout all of these things, I was completely food-obsessed, and I would pitch every food story that I possibly could. I would interview every chef, go to every restaurant opening that I possibly could. Um, So already food had kind of become a beat of mine, like in, as I was kind of navigating the media scene. And uh, I also was an intern at Serious Eats while- Oh, wow, nice. in like those early years when I worked at NBC after, after the page program, when I just had like kind of administrative desk work to do, I was like, I need to do something that, that fills me right. That, that satisfies, 
something more than like looking at spreadsheets. And, um, and so I applied to be a serious eats intern. And, and so I would leave 30 rock and go down to Chelsea and, um, work in their office for a couple hours. And so again, I think that this was realizing food is an actual job. Like my interest in food and my interest in media, these two things are very intertwined. Um, so I'm giving you a whole rundown here. <laughs> no, I'm happy to hear I can, it. I can I'm fascinated. I can, I can kind of cut to the chase. I, uh, after now this news, I started my YouTube channel, Q Katie, and, uh, that, that took off basically. And then that led to moving to Paris and going to culinary <laughs> school because, um, I was making food videos, but I felt like, wait a second, I don't have any credibility to do this. I need to, I need to give myself, I need to educate myself. So I went to culinary school at Le Cordon Bleu um, and have written two books, avocados and cheese, wine and bread. And now I live in Italy. That pretty much brings you up to speed. <laughs> now you're kind of a big deal because you're an author, food journalist, YouTuber, podcaster, and host. With all these accomplishments, you've had some fame in your work. How has this affected your life? You're you're getting to be very well known. <laughs> I I'm chuckling only because like it's very kind of you to say. I don't feel that at all. <laughs> like I don't I don't feel it in any way. Uh, I really don't. I'm not. I'm not just being um, you know like self-effacing. Um, I it has been really awesome and great for my work that, that I've had exposure on like some of these big national platforms. Um, I don't feel it at all in my day to day. I also, I live in a small town in Southern Italy and like, you know, my dog doesn't care if I'm, if I'm on the today show or something. So yeah, no, thank you. I, I take what you said as a compliment. Um, are you recognized I, anywhere? Well, so funny enough, because like I said, I live in a small town or, okay, 50,000 people. So it's not that small, but small-ish town in Southern Italy. Um, and I, I am, I, I actually, <laughs> I am kind of uh, recognized. Uh, yeah, I do get recognized here sometimes um, because I'm like the American who writes books and does a YouTube channel. So also, so like now my content on the YouTube channel is so heavily focused on Italy and, and the experience of being an American living in Italy. So um, it's it, because my, my content used to be purely recipe focused. And then it's, then it started to kind of like transform into like recipes and travel, food and travel. And now I, I of course still talk about food um, like actually the video that's coming out tomorrow is all about, I went to my local cheese shop that makes mozzarella in the back. So it's the best mozzarella I've ever had in my life. And they mm. make it every day right there in the back. And for this, for this video that I'm publishing tomorrow, I go back there with them and, um, and really see how they make this incredible mozzarella. So yeah, food's still a part of it, but now my content's all about Italy and um, Italians love that. So. Well, you trained at the Cor Le Cordon Bleu in Perry. Um, can you tell your, our audience what that was like and what lasting effect that had on you? I like how you say Perry. You're like, yeah. you like did it. So I, I learned that from Bugs Bunny also. <laughs> 
It's like, oh, we've got a Francophile here. Um, you know, going to Le Cordon Bleu taught me so much about about cooking and I would say like kitchen behavior. For instance, um, mise en place, <laughs> just organizing, organizing your ingredients before you start cooking. Even if it's as simple as getting it out of the refrigerator or getting it out of the pantry. pantry. Um, but it really cuts down on that last minute, like, oh my God, the fire's on, this is gonna burn. And like, where did I put the carrots kind of thing. Um, I would say another huge takeaway that's something I have done ever since then and embarrassingly didn't do very often before was, um, was taste is taste your food before you plate it, like taste it while you cook taste as you go. It's such a basic, um, and I, I am ashamed to say I didn't do it. And so that's, that's a biggie also that I learned from culinary school. Also just like knife skills, the, those, you know, very kind of the basics, um, you get really good at in that, put in that situation. Well, you're, you're known for your blog, your vlog, and it's very well famous. It's a keep it quirky, or I think you call it KQ now. Yeah. So the, the YouTube channel is Q Katie and the, the podcast is keep it quirky, but okay, I'm sorry. like, no, no, all good. I mean, I, I, my slogan is keep it quirky because I believe, cause a, I'm a quirky person. And I guess I, at some point I just chose to embrace that rather than, rather than shy away from it. Um, and I just believe that keeping it quirky in life, right? Like in the kitchen and in life, in travel, when you're traveling and, and your plane is delayed, when things don't go right, like you just have to keep it quirky, meaning have perspective, like keep it light, keep it fun, um, because life's going to throw all kinds of things at you. So yeah, so keep it quirky is my slogan. I say it at the end of every single video. It's also the name of my Patreon community, the, the quirky club. So I'm all about the quirky. <laughs> Now I was going to ask, and this is not one of the questions, but this just kind of came up to me because I was thinking about this before I started talking to you. I watch a lot of um, video channels where people um, live in other countries. It's like, I don't get to travel. I have a lot of kids and I don't, you know, I'm a librarian. We don't make a lot. And so I don't get to travel very much, but I love watching these channels where I can kind of live vicariously through other people like you. And there's a few other um, channels I watch as well, um, like in Asia, where people live there, who've lived there for a long time. And you get into these shows. And it's funny because I hypocritically tease my wife who watches reality television. I'm like, you don't know these people. But then <laughs> I think a couple on a, a, a vlog recently got divorced or broke up and I was like crushed. It was like, Aww. I was really depressed about it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But do people contact you and kind of feel like they know you? after watching you for so long? Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. Um, and I guess that's, it's okay with me because I would rather someone reach out to me with a sense of ease and familiarity than yeah. reach out with like, I don't know, some kind of walking on eggshells or something. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that people feel like they know me and 
it's interesting because like I am, I am very much me on the videos. Like talk to my husband, talk to my family, talk to my friends. So it's like, yeah, oh yeah, that's Katie. It also, and so it's, it's a fair representation, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think that's why I'm comfortable with people assuming that they know me before they've met me. At the same time, it like, it doesn't show all of, all of the facets of who I am, right? Because videos can only be so long and they have to be entertaining and, you know, I edit them. So they're fast paced and I cut out my ums and likes and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's one reason I'm so grateful for the other platforms, other modes of communication like the book. I think most people, if they had just seen my YouTube videos and didn't know I wrote a book might be like, wait, that like quirky blonde girl, like can write, she can, you know, wait, she's actually smart. I think that, um, oh, like she nerds out about science, like the science of food, like that. That was a real joy for me getting to deep dive into that project. And I also feel the same way about podcasts, right? About my podcast, the Keep It Quirky podcast, also Either Side Eaters, which is a podcast that I co-hosted for Food 52 and having the opportunity to be on your podcast, right? Oh, thank and you. So I love, I just love this chance to, um, yeah, I guess, show and uh, show other sides of myself, I guess. Now your um, husband is very charming and very natural on camera. Did you have to talk him into it or coach him <laughs> to do it? Or did he just naturally fall into it? He is going to love this. I, I am so thrilled. No, he does not like being on camera. Every really? Time. He's good at it I, though. Uh, okay. Thank you, Dean. And I will definitely share that with him. And I will use that as further reasons to include him in more videos because every time he's in a video, it is because I have basically begged him or dragged him. He's like, Katie, no one wants to see me. And I don't never, I never, never know what I'm saying. And no, I agree. He's great. He is charming. Um, and he's just like a really smart dude. He's one of yeah. those guys that like, he only opens his mouth to say something. If he has something to add to a conversation, if he has something worthwhile to say, right. Right. Whether it's intelligent or, or even just it can be goofy, right? But it but it's worthwhile. It, it adds something worthwhile. Um, I really appreciate him and, and what he adds. Uh, so thank you for that compliment. And to answer your question, no, he is not. <laughs> it's not his natural, natural position, no. You guys have a really good interplay on your video. Like it really looks good when you're together. It seems really natural. You're a good couple. It adds a lot, I think, to the videos that you guys do together. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. I will absolutely share this with him. Now, you're the author of two cookbooks, most recently, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering the Magic in Fermentation in England, Italy, and France, and also Avocados, which we love in California, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, can we talk a bit about both of them and how you came to write them? Yes. So Avocados came out in 2017. It's with this... Um, fantastic indie publishing house uh, based out of Brooklyn called Short Stack Editions. I was a fan of Short Stack Editions before I wrote Avocados. Basically, they are um, one ingredient cookbooks. So they're small, kind of cute, uh, very like stocking stuffery type yeah. of 
cookbook gift. The art is just incredible. There, it's all hand drawn art. Um, really, really uh, like colorful paper. Um, I was just a fan of these, and and I got back to New York after culinary school, and was like, I oh, I think I saw some short stack additions, and I was looking at the ingredients, and I was like, wait a second, they don't have my favorite my favorite ingredient at the, at the moment, anyway, avocados. I was like, how is it possible that they do not have avocados? And this was kind of right when all the crave, you know, all the craze in New York was like avocado toast. Right. right? And I was like, how is that even possible? So I reached out to, um, the editor and, and basically pitched the idea and said, I'm a recent Le Cordon Bleu graduate. I'm a writer. I have experience in media and I would love to write your avocados cookbook. And then I dropped off a few different recipes for him that I was proposing be in the book. And, and then the rest kind of happened pretty quickly from there. Um, that was great. That was my first experience with publishing. And then earlier this year, so let's see a handful of years after avocados came out, cheese, wine, and bread came out. And so that's new. That's just been out for a handful of months. And I am still just over the moon about it. I feel like my baby is in the world. Um, and it is, it is what, you know, it is what it sounds like. It's about cheese, wine, and bread. And the subtitle, you know, says it all discovering the magic of fermentation in England, Italy, and France. I was living in London at the time that I, um, proposed the book and, and started writing it. Um, yeah. So it's kind of my exploration of my favorite things. What was the process like for writing uh, cheese, wine, and bread? Did you have to do like recipe tests and stuff like that? Yeah. Yes. Many, many. And I also hired a recipe tester, my friend, Izzy Hosek, who's an incredible, um, gosh, she kind of does everything. Her blog top with cinnamon is, is pretty big. Um, she's also written cookbooks. So she's a good pal of mine and she's very talented. So, um, I enlisted her help as well as obviously testing everything myself multiple times. I want it, it was very important to me that these recipes work. <laughs> I it's like such a pet peeve of mine when a cookbook has recipes that are no good. Yes. <laughs> that aren't aren't written well. Um, so yeah, I put a lot of time into that. But from the get-go, I I wanted, I didn't want it just to be a cookbook because. Yes, of course, I love cookbooks, but I love stories. And I love feeling like I'm a part of the story. I love narratives. And then recipes within a narrative, well, that's my favorite. That's my favorite type of book. So I wanted to write the kind of book that I love to read, right? That I love to consume. And um, and I love travel. And you know, I I love following a journey and um. And so that's what this is. As you can kind of tell, I think the illustrations help tell the story. The photos um, help help bring the reader along on the journey with me. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because the art, the artistry and the design on cheese, wine, and bread is fabulous. Now, did you work on that with the publishing company or did they just assign somebody that just ended up being a good match? So I have to say, I am so appreciative that the publishing house gave me so much freedom. I mean, I'd kind of heard horror stories from other author friends of mine about 
publishing houses making uh making decisions and not running it by the author and the author being really disappointed that is the opposite of my experience i'm so thrilled to say i brought the illustrator to the table um and i guess they they had to approve her but that was no no issue at all um and same with the photography i took most of the photos in the book because it's travel focused and i was traveling solo for most of it and then in addition to that i hired a handful of really incredible photographers in england italy and france so while i was doing things like the wine harvest and you know one of my bread apprenticeships i hired a photographer to come take pictures of that because i knew that i couldn't really have that immersive experience and be taking photos at the same time. Um, and yeah, I'm thrilled with the way it turned out. Jesse Canelos Weiner is the illustrator. She's amazing. She's American and based in Paris. And I was a fan of her artwork um, for years leading up to the book. And then when I got the green light to, to have illustrations and photos both in the book, Jesse was the first person I reached out to. Well, I mean, just the cover alone is wonderful because it really, it kind of takes your attention and it kind of invites you to look at it. And I think the fact that the title's longer too kind of makes you stop and pay attention. Had you just in like cheese, wine and bread with some photograph, I don't think it would have had the same effect. And just ah, looking at it, I, love that. it, I think the first time I saw it was on Twitter. And even with just a small JPEG on Twitter, I was kind of like, well, wait a minute, let me look at this. Oh, that's and awesome. That's, that's so wonderful when like, you get that. I feel like th this is like such a great um, perspective. Uh, I feel like you have potentially given the cover more thought than the average person as a librarian. Like yeah. you, you really think about covers. And so I, th that's the first um, take like that, that I've heard of the cover. And I love it. I love that. I, I hope you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> no, as a librarian, I have a pet peeve when people... Um, I like the plastic sleeves you can put over a cover to keep the cover pristine. I love those. And a lot of libraries have stopped using them, which irritates me to no end. And they just throw the covers away. And I see that and I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, sometimes the covers aren't great, but like when they're really good, it's like- but Sometimes they no. are great. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah, I know. That is sad. Someone worked really hard on that. Yeah, I keep all my covers. I, I try and keep I buy some of the sheets to keep the covers pristine if I have a book I really like. So Aww. I'm very, you know, as you can probably already tell, I'm very meticulous with my books and I like to keep everything very much so, you know. I think that that is a sign of respect. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the book Avocado. As somebody who grew up with them everywhere, I mean, I feel like everybody had an avocado tree where I grew up in San Diego. Lucky, um, lucky man. <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. Um, what are some of your favorite avocado preparations and recipes? Oh, man. I love avocados um, whipped in a cream cheese frosting. I, I think that the fattiness, it's, you know, so obviously a cream cheese frosting right there is great, like the, the fatty element. Um, and, and then adding avocado to it gives it like an extra interest and it's oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really really delicious. Um let's see what else. I love breading avocados, slices and frying them, like Ooh. deep frying them. I've never done Absolutely that. Absolutely excellent. Good. Oh, 
get, get on it, Dean, make that, make that, uh, make that on your to-do list. Um, and then I love to dip it in like a sriracha mayonnaise. Mm, that sounds great. That's so right up my alley. Much. Yeah. Nice. I mean, how, how do you like to eat avocados? You're the one who grew up with them. You know, I've had them all kinds of different way, but I think my two favorite ways are um, just eaten out of hand um, with yes. a little bit of a squeeze of lime and some like really good mm. salt mm-hmm. to me is just the best. And then also the other way is um, the traditional guacamole. Yeah. I, I like to make yeah. just simple guacamole with some chopped oh. tomato, garlic, a little bit of, um, you know, jalapeno. Do you put any onion in your guac? Yeah. Yeah. A little onion, not a lot, but a little bit finely, finely chopped. I want Mm -hmm. everything to be very homogenous and serve those with some fresh. I I actually worked in a restaurant where I made guac, like a gigantic vat of guacamole every day. I could do it in my sleep probably. Oh my gosh. Stop it. Is cilantro a part of this? Sometimes it depends because my wife doesn't like it. So I kind of try and tone it down, but I use it. I make street tacos all the time and like always have cilantro on hand, but a lot of people don't like it. So I have to be careful. I have to tell you, you're kind of like killing me right now. A, because it's dinner time over here and I haven't eaten dinner yet. And B, because I cannot get, I can't, I can't even get an avocado here where I live and I cannot get anything resembling Mexican food. I can't get those flavors, cannot find cilantro. Um, I mean, welcome to Southern Italy. This, they, they have the best food of my life. I eat very, very well here, but they just don't have much variety. So in this moment, I want nothing more than a big vat of guacamole. Could somebody grow them there? Could, could avocados be grown in that climate? I mean, it's hot. So I would think so. Yeah. Uh, the the Pugliese climate, which is which is Puglia is the region I live in, seems pretty similar to California. I have to say, um, yeah. parts of California. Yeah, I would think that they could. Which I, I'm surprised that they don't, because it would be such a. Um, I I see economic incentive in starting that, but but it has not. It's not a thing here. No. How much of a cultural shock has it been for you living in Italy after living, after being for America and living in um, New York, London, and France? Has it been a little bit of a cultural shock for you to live there? Yes, <laughs> most definitely. I would, and I would actually say more so than I anticipated because like you said, like I've, you know, I've lived in like places and in a v- variety of places in my life and um, the I, I would say that this has been the greatest culture shock that I've experienced. And that could be because I don't live in a city like Milan, you know, I don't right. live in, in Florence or, or Rome. Um, I live in the real Italy, not, not that those places are not the real Italy. That's, right. that's not what I'm saying, but um, yeah, it's, it's also, I'm frequently reminded on the YouTube comments on my videos from Northern Italians who comment on things that I say about life here in Southern Italy. Um, I'm reminded that this country is, A, it's a long peninsula and 
and it's very diverse and, you know, Northern Italians and Southern Italians feel in some ways that they live in, in just different countries. So, um, yes, it's been a culture shock. Uh, would you like me to give you a couple examples? Yeah. And it's funny that you talk about the Northern and Southern, cause I've known people that were Italian from America and they go, well, they're always, they'll ask another Italian, like, well, what, what part of Italy are you from? And if they say like Southern and they're from Northern, even though they're from like New York or Boston, okay, they're Americans, but they'll be like, ah, they'll look at this, like, look of like obvious disdain. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's so it's really weird. fascinating. It's really fascinating. And I think most Americans don't really have a grasp of, of this kind of nuance of Italy. Um, but it's real. Yeah, it exists. Well, I mean, cause you know, we only know of it, I think through movies and like I said, Bugs Bunny cartoons, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, it's weird because, you know, there's, there are a lot of nuances when you know people that are Italian, they're like, oh, well, what region, what kind of Italian are you? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, regions, the regions are so specific in terms of their own cultures, right? Their own history, the, the, the foods and the specific dishes that they, that they call their own. It's incredible. I mean, honestly, I would love, I would love to write a book about that. I would love for my next book to be something about that uh, because there's just so much to dig into. And I feel like a lot of Americans don't know. So, um, and, and I think that they would be interested if- Do you ever see that Sopranos episode him. where Polly Walnuts and the rest of them all go back to Italy? And he's so proud because he's Italian, but then he's got culture shock because they're like, oh. you're an American. And he's like, he's right. like, where's the red gravy? And they're like, what are you talking about? Totally, where's the spaghetti and meatballs? Like, yeah. What? yeah. No, it's true. It's so funny. I, I don't think I've ever seen that episode of The Sopranos, but I, it is true. Um, absolutely. I mean, one example of, of a culture shock and then also the difference between like Northern and so Southern Italy for any listeners who, who are curious, um, there's something here in the afternoon in dialect, we call it Controra. And it is from basically like 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon to like 5 p.m., everything closes. Everything is shut down. People go inside and like don't come outside, basically. It's like the streets are deserted. I remember when we first moved here, we would, we would tend to, you know, eat lunch and then be like, oh, let's go on, a, let's, you know, walk the dog and go on a little um, like post-lunch stroll digest the food. And we're like, it is deserted. No one lives here. What is going on? And then we come to learn, oh, it's Controra. And um, kind of historically, it was thought that if you go out in that time of day, you're like only bad people and thieves go out between those hours of the day. It's like, what? And everything, every single thing shuts down. You cannot do anything productive, any errands you wanted to run. And, and I thought that that's maybe how it was in all of Italy. And then have many people in Northern Italy have been like, no, that's just a Southern Italian thing. And, you know, it kind of, it kind of makes sense um, because we're very Mediterranean down here, right? It's like the Spanish siesta. So we're more aligned with that kind of culture, the, the kind of more laid back culture. Um, yeah. So that's something that even after living here for a year, I'll tell you, Dean, I'm still like, oh gosh, darn it. I wanted to run out and run that errand right now, but 
Yeah. I can't do it. Well, no, coffee is really different there, isn't it? Because in America, we walk around with these coffee canteens all day. It's like mm -hmm. a quart of coffee in there that's like heresy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's tends to be the small espresso. Like when you ask for un café, that isn't that's espresso. Like café normale is is just a shot of espresso, one of those cute little espresso cups. And um, you don't really get it to go. I mean, it does exist, but um, people really just drink it right there, standing at the bar. Um, yeah, that's that is that is a significant difference. Absolutely. Well, pasta, I'm sure, because I mean, I think in America, we're used to this big, gigantic pot of, of pasta that's cooked with meatballs and lots of red sauce, and it's always really heavy, and it's the main focus. And that seems really different from what happens in Italy, right? Yeah, so the pasta course is primi. It's the, it's one of, you know, a handful of courses in a, on a typical Italian meal, I mean, and even at home, right? Not even out going out to eat or a fancy dinner um, where you'll have contorni first, which is kind of the the, um, the smaller stuff and like the sides. Contorni will also come along with, um, with the main dishes with the secondi, but those are kind of the smaller things. And pasta is, is um, primi. It's like a kind of main big plate that's brought to you. And um, and it's really just pasta. Sometimes it has some, some things mixed in it or vegetables, but, but meat, like a, like meat balls or any main major hunk of meat, that's going to be its own course. So that's a secondo. That's is the, in the secondi dishes that you would get, um, meatballs would you would find them there you would not find them on top of the pasta um, right. so it's really interesting they separate it like that i will say the exception with meat and pasta is ragu so mm -hmm. ragu would of course be like shredded meat um in uh or ground meat in a a sauce and that can be tossed with pasta and that is accepted now, it seems like um, a lot of Italians are gardeners and really like produce and making the most out of it. And they really, I think, in many cases, do better with a lot of the things that are indigenously American. I mean, God, they've taken so many things, just tomatoes, corn and pumpkins and done so much better than we did with them. Do you see a lot of that in Italy where, you know, they make a lot out of vegetables and make them so much better than we do? Yeah, I mean, I hesitate to say they make them better than we do. But I do, you know, my husband and I were actually just talking about this the other day. It's like, why is it that Italian food culture is so rich and just like this incredible dishes? I mean, out of the simplest things and it's emphasis on seasonal and fresh and, um, you know, in America, like we would have had our, our, our gardens would have had many similar things. And why is it that you think of America and it's like, oh, meat and potatoes or something like that, which is obviously a sweeping stereotype. But um, I don't know, we, we were just talking about this and I obviously don't have any answers, but, but, to, but to respond to your question, absolutely. They, in, they utilize the culture of food here is such that they appreciate fresh, 
produce and they use it and local produce. I mean, I've never cooked or eaten more seasonally in my life. And a part of that is because I can only get things in season. <laughs> I really can't, I can't, I can't get chimichurri in July to cook with, right? I, um, and like chimichurri is a broccoli rob type of bitter green. That's amazing here that I've completely fallen in love with. Um, and, but I can only get it certain times of year. And that goes for pretty much everything. Uh, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot since, since living here for that reason. Now, what are some, what are some guilty pleasures that you miss from America or England that you would love to have that you don't get there outside of avocados? And conversely, if you lived back in Ohio, what would you miss from Italy? Ooh. Okay. Oh, oh my gosh. This is such a hard question. Something I miss, um, from the UK is shortbread, like shortbread cookies, you know, good old Walker's shortbread cookies. Mm -hmm. Love, love those things. There's really nothing like that, that kind of like buttery biscuit. There's not really much of that here. Um, <laughs> and then like London has incredible Indian food, like the best Indian food I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Not really finding that here. Although I did go to a really good place um, called Kerala, which is of course the name of a place in India, um, in Rome. I, so Rome, you leave it to the big cities to have some of that international cuisine. So I finally got my Indian fix when I, on a recent trip to Rome. Um, so yeah, from the UK, I would say, buttery biscuits, uh, like shortbread and, um, and Indian food from the States. I miss good peanut butter. Oh, I am. I love peanut butter. Italians don't really like peanut butter. And there's like one small jar. It's so funny. You go to the grocery store, there's like literally shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves of Nutella and then also there's some variety of other chocolate hazelnut spreads similar to Nutella, but competitors. Um, there's things like pistachio butter, which I'm completely obsessed with. That sounds amazing. I wrote an article in New York magazine about it. it came out a couple of months ago. This is like, this is the best thing ever. Americans need to hop on this <laughs> immediately. Um, and... Uh, so actually I think that I'm going to fast forward and say that in America, pistachio butter is something I would miss. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, in Italy can't get good peanut butter. So among all these jars of, of Nutella and all things like that, there's one measly little teeny jar of peanut butter. It's really expensive and it's not even very good. So now, what about uh, some of the Ohio specialties? Because I have a lot of friends in Ohio that are from Ohio, and yeah. they always talk about the region, regional delicacies. So what about like, what is it, four-way chili or um, <laughs> or like getta, the, the pork-like loaf thing? Uh, yeah, like like a lot, there's like a lot of casseroles that <laughs> I, I'm you definitely know. like... <laughs> Next time I go home, I'm going to get me some casseroles. We don't really have much of that here. <laughs> some hot dish with tater tots on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah, but that's okay. Those can wait. Those can wait. I can I could be patient. Um, yeah. Oh, 
Oh man, I'm blanking. I'm trying to remember. There's the name of a fruit that is really big where I'm from in Southeast Ohio. Oh, I'm blanking on it. There's a whole festival. That's like such a big deal in my hometown. I can't believe I'm blanking on it. It's this like really unique kind of unknown, not unknown, but. <gasps> yeah, I'm curious too. Oh my god! Like gosh. the pawpaw or something. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Thank you. Pawpaw. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The pawpaw. So I miss pawpaws. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Although obviously not that much as if I couldn't remember their name, but um, <laughs> no, I do. I do. Um, good old, good Ohio stuff. Yeah. Now, um, I always talk about this with other um, cookbook authors and chefs because I think it's 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 a really you know, big topic. I think Americans have a lot of misconceptions about England and Italy as far as food goes. I know the one thing is I, I lived in England for two years and I ate some of the best food of my entire life while I was there. So when I hear people talk trash talk English food, I'm like, what are you talking about? You have no mm. idea what you're talking about. I mean, God, people could complain about America really easily with all our McDonald's and everything, you know? Absolutely. So like, what are some of the misconceptions you always hear and fight against when you hear about them and about England and Italy? Well, first I want to ask, where did you live in England? I was in the Suffolk region. So I had access to Cambridge and London, but I wouldn't, I didn't really go anywhere else while I was there. Okay. Okay. Did you, I mean, because I agree that, that I had amazing food in, I only lived in London. I was there for about three and a half years and, um, I had like, yeah, some of the best food ever. Um, but I wondered always if it was because I was in London. Um, and not in the Cotswolds or um, well, even another... the small towns I feel had really like there'd always be one really great restaurant in each town like mm. I remember one time I was in the military so we would be I was in my camo gear with like gas masks and stuff and we went to a little small restaurant and we had I had the mater d take my gas mask and helmet and I, I had a escargot and we had great wine and it was really inexpensive and it was like amazing and it was that's so awesome that was yeah. a small, small town. So I think it was mm. everywhere. It felt like there was really good food. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, I typically, yeah, just say, no, there's good food there, but I wondered, I, I have wondered if, well, some small places just have a fish and chip shop. Um, in, in terms of misconceptions about Italian food, I think a lot of Americans might think that, oh, they just eat pizza and pasta all the time. Yeah. Um, which is like, can, you know, kind of true, depending like pasta <laughs> is a big thing here. And so is pizza, but there's so much else. And it is again, very regionally specific. So up North in like Friuli, Veneto, uh, Friuli, um, let's see, Friuli Venezia Giulia is its full name. Um, Veneto is another region up there. Uh, Trentino Alto Adige, they're big on polenta and, mm, and yeah. some dishes that almost more resemble um, like Austrian and German food. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. With krauts and, and potato based, um, like a potato based gnocchi is, is bigger up there. Um, down here and where I am, right on the Adriatic Sea there's a lot of seafood. So the seafood culture is, is hopping, right? And, and one of the main dishes is called riso patate cozze, which is rice, 
mussels and potatoes. And um, it's an amazing dish. Mm, um, sounds great. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it, there's just, there really is quite a bit of variety. And again, and it, and it is very regionally specific too, that, that extends far beyond um, pizza and pasta. So that I would say is, is the biggie. What are some of the big wines out where you're at regionally? Negro Amaro is big and primitivo. Uh, those are kind of the two biggies. Um, so by those, anyone who who's big into wine knows straight away, those are both red, great, red wines, mm -hmm. and they are bold. They are strong and bold, high in tannin, high in alcohol content, um, bold red wines. So this area with, with the, the strong sun that it gets, um, those grapes are native to this area and are, are very beloved and are found at most dinner tables. Nice. Now, um, I was going to ask you um, a question I like to ask a lot of food writers. Who are some of your favorite food writers that you like to read that you're really attached to? Um, so I, I listened to um, some of, of your other podcast episodes, Dean, and I couldn't help but notice that like, Oh, wow. I guess my food writers that I really love aren't that unique because like, other people are also saying them, but I'm still going to start with them. Uh, and then I'll, and then I'll kind of go off into what I'm reading now, which is, a, I think a little lesser known. Um, I love MFK Fisher. Mm, her local book, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Her book, the gastronomical me. Um, I'm very drawn to, I think that her, her time, yeah, her time in France, her time in Europe is, um, something that I can, can relate to in a certain way. Uh, and I just love, I love how she weaves food so seamlessly into just talking about life. Um, I, uh, am a big fan of Patience Gray for a similar reason, like travel and food and, and just journeys, um, and, uh, and, and really getting into local recipes and local cultures and, um, uh, so those are two kind of more old school food writers I really respect and, and love their work. Um, I am currently reading a book called The Food of Italy by Waverly Root. And Ooh. it is a, an epic book. It's huge, but it's great. And he breaks down. So um, he breaks down the regions of Italy and, and again, talks about the history of each region, which, you know, Italy for the, the, the places up north could have been ruled by the Austrians and the places in the center were ruled by the Normans and the, and the places in the south, like Sicily were, were ruled by the Arabs. I mean, it was just such a, um, the history is so varied that it makes sense that this has ripple effects into food. And Waverly really talks about all this. I mean, he goes into all of this detail. Um, it's really, it's really fascinating. He's great. Um, yeah. And then I also just read a, a really great book about Puglia cookbook um, called Under the Olive Tree by Ana Maggio that I really Ooh. enjoyed. So those are a couple of those are a couple of recent ones. And then, uh, yeah. And then the old, the good old standbys, uh, MFK Fisher and, um, and, and patience. Great. I, I also love Fuchsia Dunlop. I mean, 
the list goes on. I have, I have great respect for many, many people. Now, I know you're still promoting the book that you currently have out, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, but what's next for you? So, you know, it's funny because when Cheese, Wine, and Bread came out, I was like, the, I, I'm so proud of this book. I, I loved writing it. I loved that experience. And I, and I was like, I'm just going to do anything and everything I can do to, you know, anything that's within my power to help this book get into hands that will enjoy it. Um, and it's so funny. I was like, I'm not going to distract myself with future projects. I really want to like give, cause I tend to do that. Right. I tend to think about, I tend to go head first into the next thing before the last thing has been given its time. So I was like, no, Katie, don't do that with this. Of course, though, <laughs> I can't help, especially being in Italy and being surrounded by all the many of the things that we've talked about in this conversation. Um, right. I'm, I am, I am really drawn to write about, about all that stuff. So we'll see, but I've got, I've got some ideas percolating. That's good to hear. I mean, I always like to hear that as a, as a fan of, of your work. I really always like to hear that you're kind of scheming to make things for the future. No. It's always kind of like neat. I love no. that. So. Oh, well, good. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Well, Katie, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to you. Me too. Thank you for such great questions. That was my conversation with Katie Quinn. I had a good time talking to her, and I really want to recommend her new book, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering the Magic of Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. You can buy this at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or please go to a local bookseller and purchase the book there. They'll be happy to sell it to you. On Friday, we're going to be talking to Chez Panis' own Cal Peternell, who worked there for over 20 years. He is an author of many cookbooks, none the least, his new cookbook, Burnt Toast and Other Disasters. That'll be on Friday. I had a wonderful time getting to talk to him, and you're going to love hearing the conversation. Please tune in then. Share um, the Well-Seasoned Librarian on social media, just um, whatever platform you're listening to this show on. Just share the information on social media. You can even use the hashtag WellLibrarian. You can follow the Well-Seasoned Librarian on Spotify and get notified when new episodes are released as well. We have a link in my bio section for Buy Me A Coffee. It's a social media platform where you can um, show a little appreciation for a podcast if you like it. I make no money for this podcast and every little bit helps. So if you want to contribute there, I'll say thank you now. Until Friday, please come back and listen to our conversation with Cal Peternell. But until then, happy cooking. Mm -hmm.